You are listening to a podcast by Spring Hill Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Spring Hill Church is called to reach everyday people with God's grace, His unconditional love, and the life-changing power of His Word. Thanks for listening, and if you would like more information, you can visit us online at springhill.cc. All right, well, we shall pray and get into the Word tonight. I'm ready for it. Are you? Amen. Okay, all right, let's pray. Father, thank you again for just this, another opportunity to gather with my friends and family, Lord, uh, around your word. And Father, I thank you that Jesus said that the words that he speaks are life. And Father, we your spirit. And Father, we believe in the name of Jesus that as we partake of your word, that it will work in us. Father, I thank you that you said in Proverbs 4 that the word is health and medicine to our flesh. And so, Father, we receive it tonight. We thank you for the ministry of the Holy Spirit, who is our teacher, to bring revelation to us, to cause uh, the eyes of our understanding to be enlightened. And Father, I thank you that, again, it will cause produce change on the inside of us. I thank you, Father, that we will be mindful not to be just hearers only, but we, but we will do what we hear as well. And Father, we thank you for it. We believe to receive tonight in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, let me hit on a few things from uh, last week's lesson that we talked about just as a point of review. And um, so we taught last week, and of course, this is week number three in our little series on how to win over worry. And so we talked about how uh, you and I are made up of spirit, soul, and body. We are a spirit, we possess a soul, and we live in a body. And so we looked at the word and we found out that the spirit of man, the born again spirit of man is where God lives on the inside of us. So any direction, any wisdom, any insight that we receive from the Lord comes to us up out of our recreated human spirit because that is where God lives. And so if we need answers to situations that we're facing in life and as comes up with all of us every now and then, then we're gonna have to look to the Lord to provide those answers. And they're gonna come from within in our own spirits where he lives, okay? And so to put a definition to worry, what worry is, is the direct result of a fruitless search for life's answers out of our human mind. In other words, when you and I face a situation, we have a need, we have a crisis that we're facing. And, uh, you know, when we look to our own thinking, when we look to circumstances, when we look everywhere else except our own born again spirit for the answer and for help, that is how worry is produced. And you know, I can say this from a lot of experience. Worry is simply just hashing over the problem again and again and again and again, trying to find an answer in your mind that just simply is not there. Now, again, as I mentioned to you last week, what we have a tendency to do is, you know, if it's a situation that we faced before, then we try and revert to what we did before, and that's all fine, well, and good unless the Lord has you or, or gives you instructions rather on something that he wants you to do differently 
in this particular situation. So point being is we're going to have to learn how to depend on the Holy Spirit who lives in us for the insight, for the revelation, for the direction that we need. Okay. Now, again, I can testify to this from my own experience when we are going over and over and over the problem in our mind, looking for the answers there. We only cause ourselves more anxiety, more worry, and we just make matters worse. And so that's why we need to deal with this issue of worry. Worry is also, as we said last week, a direct result of believing the wrong thing. So when you and I have uh, information apart from God's word and we base our belief on that information, then that could also produce worry and anxiety. And we looked at uh, the example from the Gospels where Jesus was crucified, the disciples saw it, they witnessed it, and then on his resurrection, uh, you know, the, the very morning that he was raised from the dead, they found themselves full of anxiety, full of worry, full of fear, because in the natural, everything that they had believed in fell apart in the sense of the one that they had put their hope in died a physical death, and they had forgotten what Jesus had told them time and time again about the fact that he, yes, he was going to be crucified, but that he would be raised from the dead. And so because they forgot that and they were believing the wrong thing based on what they saw and what they experienced, it caused their, their themselves to be filled with worry and anxiety. So the disciples were fooled by their own physical senses, which told them something different than what Jesus had said to them. And if you think about it, that's what causes us the issues in our belief and in our stand of faith is when we choose to believe what we see, feel, hear, touch, and, and experience in the natural realm separate or you know differently from what the Word of God has already told us. And so, you know, just to summarize it, worry is a direct result of wrong belief and we believe the wrong things because of wrong thinking. We have wrong thinking because we've been receiving the wrong information. So what the answer to that is, is we're going to have to incorporate the right information or God's information into our thinking to change our believing and eliminate worry. Now, I want to just put a little addendum onto last week's lesson uh, that I ran out of time and was not able to cover, but turn in your Bibles with me to James, the first chapter and the 21st verse. James 1 and verse 21. James 1 and verse 21. And um, so James tells us something very interesting. And of course, if you'll recall, James is the half-brother of the Lord Jesus. He was raised in the same household with the Lord Jesus. Um, he was pastor of the church at Jerusalem until the great persecution came. And uh, so a lot of the things that he wrote in his epistle, we can see that they probably were learned not only from uh, what he received after Jesus' resurrection, but also what he saw modeled in Jesus' life. And so he, he gives us several things, but in verse 21, and I'm going to read it from the, the King James Version because there's a word in there that I really want to focus on. He said, wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. Now, I don't know about you, but I use that word superfluity all the time in my vocabulary 
You probably don't because you're not as sophisticated as I am, but I'm just kidding. Totally. Uh, the, the new King James says, uh, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness. Okay. And receive with meekness, the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. Now, again, the soul of man is the mind, the will, and the emotions. So, and by the way, James is writing to born again people here. So he is not referring to uh, receiving the engrafted word, which is able to cause you to be born again. He's talking about receive the engrafted word, which is able to have an impact on your mind, your will, and your emotions. Now, I did a little bit of research on uh, the word engrafted there. And if you're familiar with uh, agriculture or, or might remember this from school, but a lot of times if a, a farmer wants, uh, you know, particularly a farmer that grows some type of fruit, uh, if they want to cause a change in the way the fruit is produced in a particular tree, what they might do is engraft branches or graft branches rather from another fruit tree into this particular fruit tree so that it produces a variation of that particular type of fruit. Now, here's one thing that I want you to see. Notice James did not say you need to have a change in your roots. He said the change needs to take place by implication in the branches. So the branches just symbolically are, are, are where our thinking is. If he, the roots of your life were changed when you got born again, okay? So your roots are settled. But in order for there to be a change of fruit, then we need to engraft the word of God into our lives. Let me let me just show you a picture here of what this looks like. So you can see here, this is what it looks like when you're grafting fruit branches together to cause another type of fruit. So you have an established tree with established roots, and then you simply take branches from another tree and you blend them together, you wrap them up, and uh, eventually the two will grow together and you can change the fruit that's being produced in this tree by grafting different branches into it. So let's again look at this verse. You and I can change the fruit that our life is producing by grafting in different branches of thinking into our lives. So don't be, don't be concerned with the roots. Your roots were changed when you were born again. What we need to do is change our thinking. And so again, if we want to uh, change what we're believing, we're gonna have to change what we're thinking. And as I said, if, if you're believing the wrong thing that is going to attribute and contribute to your worry situation, okay? So, um, if we're worried and anxious, again, it's because we are believing the wrong thing. So what we have to do is go to the Word of God and begin to change our thinking and graft His promises into our thinking and change our believing and then start down the path of wiping out worry for good. Okay? So I wanted to do that little addendum, and uh, so I'm going to change gears on you now, and let's go in a little bit different direction. Okay? How many of you have ever... Uh, had a slow leak in your in a tire on your car before. I, I experienced this over the Christmas holidays. Um, I had a tire that 
you know, I drove all the way to Florida and everything was great. Uh, got down to Florida and went outside and I had a flat tire. So fortunately I have a little pump and I was able to, to pump the tire up and determine that it wasn't, you know, a, a gash or something like that. Cause it held its, the pressure for a little while until I was able to, to get to the tire store and get it taken care of. Now, I use that illustration because uh, when you have a leak in a tire, particularly a slow leak because of a nail or something that might be in the tire, I want you to pay attention to what I'm getting ready to tell you. The pressure did not cause the leak. It was only revealed because of the pressure. Okay, the leak was there, but it was the pressure in the tire that caused the leak to be revealed. Okay. So let me say that again, the, the 32 pounds or 35 pounds of, of, of air in that tire did not cause the leak. What the pressure did is revealed a leak that was already there. And again, as I would pump it back up again, it would only cause the leak to be revealed and, and then, you know, the air would leak out. So in the same way, we often think that pressure is what makes us do the things that we do when we're under intense pressure. Anybody ever notice, you know, I heard a saying a long time ago, strange people do strange things when they're under pressure. Okay. And what I mean by that and, and is that all of us are susceptible to make bad decisions, to do things uh, that we normally would not do when we're under pressure. We make bad decisions. We, we do things that we, again, we normally would not do because of the pressure that is on our lives. You know, it might be a crisis situation we're facing, or it might be an, a tremendous need that has arisen. And so um, this is like thinking that the pressure in that tire is what causes the leak or the hole, and it's not, okay? So what am I saying to you? When you and I make bad decisions, when you and I react the wrong way or do something we wouldn't normally do when we're under pressure, the pressure is not what caused that behavior. It only revealed something that was already there. Okay, are you, are you with me? Yes. Okay, I want yeah. you to, to, to listen to this. So anxiety in our lives creates tremendous pressure. You know, have you ever been in a situation where the anxiety was so great, you just wanted to do anything you could to get the pressure off of you, okay? And what happens when we're under pressure like that, a lot of times we make decisions, bad decisions to try and get the pressure off of us, okay? And uh, I'll, just a little side note, that's one of the worst times to make major decisions in your life is when you're under pressure, because chances are you're not thinking clearly and might not make the right decision. But anxiety creates tremendous pressure. And in this, many people end up making bad decisions during these times. But the pressure only reveals a weakness that was there the whole time. Okay. Mm -hmm. Let's go back to 1 Samuel chapter 13. And I want us to look at a story in the Old Testament about King Saul. And so uh, for those of you who are familiar with that story, the children of Israel begged God and begged God and begged God for a king. And 
Samuel the prophet was the spiritual leader of the nation. And so uh, God relented to their request and, and gave Samuel permission to uh, anoint and to, uh, what do you call it? Um, I crown Saul the king. I was trying to think, there's another word I was trying to think of. But anyway, so Saul has been king. And so if you look in, in 1 Samuel chapter 13, verses 1 and 2, it says this, Saul reigned one year, and when he had reigned two years over Israel, Saul chose for himself 3,000 men of Israel. 2,000 were with Saul in Michmash and in the mountains of Bethel, and 1,000 were with Jonathan, Saul's son, in Gibeah and Benjamin, the rest of the people he sent away, every man to his tent. So we see Saul is, is having a successful time so far, so far in his reign. And we see something that begins to happen, and that is this. Saul begins to get honor as the king, and rightfully so. Okay, He begins to have a lot of people that are now working for him and so forth. So drop down to verse 5. And it says, Then the Philistines gathered together to fight with Israel, 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen, and people as the sand which is on the seashore in multitude. And they came up and, and encamped at Michmash to the east of Beth-Avin. When the men of Israel saw that they were in danger, for the people were distressed, then the people hid in caves, in thickets, in rocks, in holes, and in pits. Okay? So... What do we have that all of a sudden arose in this situation? Pressure. The enemy showed up. These were great adversaries of the children of Israel. They had been harassing the children of Israel for years. And so in this pressure shows up in the, the lives of the children of Israel. So what, what do we see the children of Israel do? Well, they became distressed. And in verse 6, it says they hid in caves, in thickets, in rocks, and holes, and pits, they hid everywhere that they possibly could, okay? So with all promotion, with all privilege, there will always come pressure, okay? If you've ever been in any type of leadership position, particularly a management position, you, you can take it to the bank and know that somewhere along the line, pressure is going to come while you're in that situation, you know, and, and don't confuse what I'm saying by thinking, you know, a leader of a business or something like that. If you are a parent, if you are in any type of leadership position, uh, in other words, if you have influence over anybody else's life, I can promise you at some point or another, pressure is going to come. Now, here's a point that I want you to get. What you do during a time of pressure is really determined before you get to that time of pressure. Okay, let me say that again. What you do during a time of pressure is really determined before you get to the time of pressure. Now, we're going to talk more about this in a few minutes, but I'll go ahead and give you a huge key right now. A huge key in life is not to wait until the pressure comes to get ready for it. <clears throat> Uh, get ready for pressure ahead of time. 
Somebody says, well, pastor, I thought this Bible study was going to be more positive. It is. I am positive pressure is going to come in your life at some time or another. Okay. So here's a, just a, a, I'll let the cat out of the bag. Start preparing for the pressure now before the pressure shows up. Okay. So how you respond to pressure it, 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 you know, through trials, temptations, whatever the pressure might be, uh, and how you respond to that uh, is how you is based on what you plan to do earlier. Somebody said, "Well, I didn't plan to do anything." Well, guess what? When the pressure shows up, that's exactly what you're going to do, and the pressure is going to gain the upper hand. Okay. Now, somebody said, "Well, I'll I'll just stand in faith." Well. That's great, but listen, faith is not pretending the battle will not take place, okay? Again, faith is what enables us to go through the battle, through the storm, and to overcome, but faith does not make you immune to those things, all right? I just want to say that up front, all right? So, it, and Jesus gives us a beautiful illustration of this in Matthew 7 when he talks about the man who built his house on the sand, and, and he said the storms came, the wind blew, and the man's house uh, was destroyed. Then he talked about the another man that built his house on the rock of the revelation of Jesus and who he is. The storms came, it said the winds blew, the floods arose, but that house was not shaken uh, at all. It was not disturbed or moved at all. What's the difference? Well, the, the, the storm came to both, it was what one did with the word in advance and what one, one did not do with the word in advance. Okay, so look at verse 7 in 1 Samuel 13. It says, And some of the Hebrews crossed over the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. As for Saul, he was still in Gilgal, and all the people followed him trembling. So in verse 8, Then he waited seven days according to the time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. So let me back up and just say this. Samuel had given Saul some specific instructions and said, Do not offer sacrifices to the Lord until I come back, and you and I will do it together. Okay? So, so what we have here is in verse 8, he waited seven days according to the time set by Samuel. So Samuel had indicated to him, I should be back within seven days. Well, the pressure is on Saul, and the pressure is on the children of Israel. So the time passed by that Samuel had told him he would be back. And so it says, and Saul said in verse 9, bring a burnt offering and peace offerings here to me. And he, Saul, offered the burnt offering, okay? So what did Saul do? Saul messed up right here, okay? Now here's why, and, and listen to me carefully. The king was not the one who was supposed to offer sacrifices to the Lord. That was for the priest or the prophet, which Samuel was in this case, okay? So what Saul did was wrong in this moment. So when pressure, listen to me carefully, when pressure comes against you, the mission and pur purpose of that pressure is to 
perp or to cause you to cross a boundary line and make a bad decision. Let me say that again because I kind of fumbled over it. When pressure comes against you, the mission and purpose of that pressure is to push you into crossing a boundary or a line and make a bad decision. So in this case, what Saul did is he panicked because the people started fleeing and he saw his influence going out the door and so and Samuel wasn't back yet. So what he did is he crossed a line into an office that he wasn't supposed to function in and he made a huge mistake and messed up, okay? But the pressure is what contributed to that. Now, remember what I said, the pressure didn't cause him to do this. The pressure only revealed a flaw that was in Saul the whole time, okay? All right, Saul was already in trouble because there was a hole in the fabric of his character that got revealed by the pressure. On the surface, to the person just looking at it, it looks like Saul did a good thing by offering the sacrifices. Hey, what's wrong with offering a sacrifice and worshiping the Lord with that? Well, nothing if you're following the guidelines of your office and what the instructions of the prophet were, okay? And so he violated and crossed a major border set for him by God. So again, if you want to make a reference, 1 Samuel chapter 10 and verse 8 is where Samuel gave Saul those instructions to wait for him, and then they would offer the sacrifices, okay? So Saul was a king called to lead the people and rule over them in government, but one of the things he was not called to do was be a priest for the people before God and therefore should not have offered the sacrifices. This was Samuel's job. By doing this, Saul creates huge problems for himself and the nation. Uh, think big picture with me for just a moment. Because Saul disobeyed God, stepped out of the boundaries of the office that he was supposed to be in, what did he do? Somebody take a guess. He took it out of God's hands and tried to do it himself. Well, yeah, but what did he do where the enemy was concerned? Oh, he opened a door. <laughs> Absolutely. Made himself and the whole nation vulnerable now to the attack of the enemy. Okay, so look at uh, verse 10 of 1 Samuel 13. Now it happened as soon as he had finished presenting the burnt offering that Samuel came. So here Samuel comes rolling into town and Saul went out to meet him that uh, he might greet him. And Samuel said, what have you done? Can I just give you a little helpful hint? When you're dealing with a prophet, don't try and hide stuff from him, okay? Because God has a tendency to tell your business. But anyway, just say it. Saul said, when I saw, look at, pay attention to what Saul said here. When I saw that the people were scattered from me and that you did not come within the days appointed and that the Philistines gathered together at Michmash, then I said, the Philistines will now come down on me at Gilgal, and I have not made supplication uh, to the Lord. Therefore, I felt compelled and offered a burnt offering. So I want you to see something that Saul does. He throws everybody else under the bus, including Samuel, 
and does not own up to what he did. Okay. What did he do? Look at, look at again. Verse 11, when I saw that the people were scattered from, from me, when I saw that the people were scattered from me, in other words, they weren't following me. Okay. And then he says that you did not come within the days appointed. So now it's, it's the people's fault. It's your fault, Samuel. And uh, then it's the Philistines fault because they gathered against us. So then I panicked and I offered the sacrifice. I thought I would go ahead and worship and get the job done. Okay. So that's what, where he messed up. All right. So when we cross boundaries, again, we call, we create a world of problems for ourselves. Let me give you a very, very drastic example. Okay. So let's say now I know how I was raised. All right. So anybody that our family was close to uh that had kids that we hung around with okay and you know granted you're talking the 60s and early 70s at this point uh there was a mutual understanding if one got in trouble then they all got in trouble no matter whose house they were in okay anybody it, it was anybody else raised that way all right so and then you know if you you know aunts, uncles, grandma and them, they all had permission to discipline you, all right? Well, times have changed, okay? All right, so let's say you're out in your front yard and uh, you have a neighbor that has a child that, that is being disrespectful to another adult or to their parents or whatever, and you take it upon yourself that you're gonna march across to their yard and spank that child because of their uh, misbehaving. All right. Well, guess what? You're going to get in trouble. Mm -hmm. If you, you might end up going to jail. All right. Now here's why, because you crossed a boundary that you shouldn't have crossed. All right. See this difference between nowadays and back when I was a kid, like we were talking about is the parents had conversations and had permission. All right. You don't have permission to cross that line and go over there and spank that child because they're misbehaving. When you cross that line and cross that boundary, you are opening the door for a lot of problems for you and your family possibly, okay? Mm -hmm. So when people cave into pressure and cross boundaries, it could be largely because they did not prepare ahead of time for what they are currently facing, okay? so. Let me say it to you this way. Saul didn't have a plan about what to do when the pressure came. And when the pressure showed up, it revealed flaws in who he was, and it he crossed a boundary that he should not have crossed. Okay? And we do the very same thing. When pressure shows up, we make poor decisions and we might not go spank somebody else's child, but we make bad decisions and possibly cross boundaries that we shouldn't cross. Okay. So I want to contrast this story with Samuel, Samuel and Saul. And I want to look at somebody who did it the right way. And that is David. Okay. So if you'll fast forward with me over to first Samuel 17, Okay, 
So 1 Samuel 17, you know the story. Goliath has come out and he's harassing the children of Israel. Uh, by the way, this had been going on now for several chapters. And uh, Goliath would come out and mock and mock God and torment the, the children of Israel, make fun of them and all this type of thing. And so David was at home tending the sheep like his father had asked him to do. And so his father asked him to come and to carry some food, uh, some Lunchables down to his brothers who were in the army to that were you know facing off with the Philistines, okay? So David does what his father asked him. He takes it, the food down to his brothers. And so he rolls up on the scene right when Goliath is out there taunting and making fun of the children of Israel and making fun of God, okay? And so you know the story. David comes up and he says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine, so forth and so on. So David rolls up and uh, he asks the question, what shall be done to the man who kills this giant? And, and the soldiers answer him and tell him what the results would be, that he wouldn't have to pay taxes. He and his family wouldn't have to pay taxes, and he got to marry the king's daughter. He even asked Saul the same question, and Saul answered the same way. Okay, So David makes up his mind that, that based on his covenant relationship with God, that he's going to deal with this giant. So look at 1 Samuel chapter 40, or chapter 17, rather, verse 40, okay? Now, I, you know, I encourage you, read the story. I know you're familiar with it, but read it, all right? And so verse 40, it says, Then David took his staff in his hand. He chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag in a pouch which he had, and his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. So would you agree with me that at this point, even though he put himself in this situation, David was under pressure? Okay, mm -hmm. here you had this nine-foot-tall sure. yes. man that had, when David stepped out there on the, in the valley, the Goliath began taunting David, you know, made fun of his manhood, made fun of who he was, and so forth and so on. And uh, actually, Goliath told him, I'm going to kill you, and then I'm going to kill all of the, the, the armies, and the birds of the air are going to come and feed on your carcasses. Okay? So, David's under pressure. He's under a tremendous amount of pressure. Now, here's where a lot of the pressure was coming from. Guess who was watching all of this transpire? Everybody, everybody, not only everybody. the Philistines, but the all of the armies of Israel were hiding in their ditches and behind their rocks, watching all this transpire, and then Saul the king was watching it as well, okay? So we see in this one verse what to do when the pressure is on. There's three words I want you to underline in your Bible in that verse 40, and that is this. It says that he took his staff in his hand. He chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook, put them in a shepherd's bag in a pouch. And here's the three words, which he had. And his sling was in his hand and he drew near to the Philistine. What did David do? David resorted 
to what he had been doing all along. What do I mean by that? Where had he been prior to this point? Shepherding. He had been tending to his father's flock. Now, if you remember in his conversation with Saul, he told him, he said, this giant is going to be like the bear. You remember when he talked about the bear and the mm -hmm. lion that tried to come and steal sheep and how he rose up and killed both of them. And he said, this giant's going to be just like one of them. Okay. <laughs> so again, David's under pressure, but what did David do? David reverted to what he had been practicing all along. Okay. So what am I telling you that when, when you, you and I need to prepare for pressure before it ever shows up. And when the pressure shows up, here's a key. You're going to resort to what you have prepared for. Okay. Um, you always fall back on the right things that you've been doing all along. Okay. Especially what you've been doing in the little things. You know, one of the uh, things I love to do, I have a couple of different podcasts that I listen to, and I love to read books by guys who are retired Navy SEALs. I love to, you know, I, because I just love exploring their mentality. I love, of course, if you can get past the colorful language that a lot of them use, uh, you know, but you can really get into their mindset and and the whole gist of seal training if you've ever seen any movies or anything about it what all of the seal training is designed to do is to break you down and reprogram you to respond to certain situations without having to think about it okay and and that's just a big summary of our, our, you know of what they do in in months and years of training but the same thing is true for us spiritually okay what seals do is they they cause their bodies they push their bodies to a physical extreme to to convince themselves that they are capable of overcoming Un being uncomfortable or inconveniences in their flesh body in order to win a certain outcome. Okay. And of course they do this through all different kinds of, of training. Uh, I can't get into all that tonight. Brad, sir. I'll throw in the athletic part of that. Oh gosh. Yeah. Coaches yeah. always work with their, with their teams and put, the pressure on them in practice so they do it over and over and over so when the real pressure comes in the game they do it automatically yeah that's exactly right i'd uh, like to add to that when Tamara did the mind team and they would rehearse over and over and over what they finally discovered was that uh because they didn't have to stop and think about the moves they were making and and where they were they were open to the holy spirit to move through them in the performance that they were doing and touch the people because it was almost second nature to right yeah to so because they weren't having to meditate in their mind on the mind so much they could hear from the holy spirit and yeah yeah that's exactly right um write this down please when you are under pressure you never rise to the occasion 
When you are under pressure, you never rise to the occasion. You fall back to the level of your preparation. Now, that I got that directly from a Navy SEAL. All right, but it's true spiritually. And that is this, when you are under pressure, you know, there's a whole misbelief that we rise to a certain occasion dependent on the pressure. Well, that's not true. What you do is you fall back to the level of your preparation. Now, hopefully your preparation exceeds the pressure, but for a lot of us, it doesn't. And so what happens is we end up falling back to whatever the level of our preparation is. So again, when you are under pressure, you never rise to the occasion. You always fall back to the level of your preparation. Okay. One of the, again, uh, one of the marks of high intensity training that the SEALs use, it's like Alan was saying, is constant repetition, doing the same things over and over and over again. So again, they're not having to think about it and it doesn't require any conscious mental activity. Somebody says, well, I don't know if I can do that. You do it every day. Okay. Let me ask you a question. How many of you, when it comes time to brush your teeth, have to go through all the steps that your parents taught you when you were little about brushing your teeth? Okay. Get the toothbrush out of the toothbrush holder. If you need to wet it, get your toothpaste, squeeze a little bit on the brush. And then you brush this way and then you brush this way and you brush this way and so forth and so on. No, we, we don't do that because we have done it so much. We can be, our minds can be way out in left field and we can brush our teeth totally and not even consciously think about it. You know, I, I use this example also. Have any of you driven to work or driven someplace and you arrived at that destination and you, 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 all of a sudden it dawns on you, my goodness, I hope I didn't run any red lights or anything because my mind was totally thinking on something else while I was driving to work. Okay. Mm -hmm. I've done that. You know, I've mm -hmm. gotten to church before, been thinking about church and the service and so forth and so on. And I pull into parking lot and I go, my goodness, I, I, I don't remember, <laughs> you know, I, I hope I didn't you know, run anybody off the road or whatever, but obviously I didn't. But my point is this, we do things every day because of repetition without mm -hmm. having to have conscious mental activity about what we're doing. And, and yeah. here's what I'm wanting you to see. You can do that spiritually. You can repeat the same things uh, spiritually till it becomes second nature for you. All right. Let's go over to 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 8. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 8. And I'm going to show you a scripture that Paul used, or Paul said, by the Holy Spirit, obviously. Okay. And he said this. He said, I'm going to read it from the New King James, and then I'm going to read it from the Amplified. He said, for bodily exercise profits a little... But godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. Let me read it to you out of the Amplified. For physical training is of some value, it's useful for a little, but godliness or spiritual training is useful and of value in 
everything and in every way. In other words, physical training only does one part of your life good, and that is your physical body, okay? So going to the gym, doing those types of things is great, um, and it, it, but it benefits one area of your life. Paul said godliness, the exercise of godliness, spiritual training, benefits you in every area of your life, in everything and in every way, for it holds promise for the present life and also for the life which is to come, okay? So what I'm wanting us to see is, and somebody says, well, what does this have to do with worry and anxiety? One of the ways to eliminate worry in your life is to prepare for the pressure ahead of time to practice what you are going to do when the pressure comes before the pressure shows up. So when the heat shows up, when the heat comes, you will do what you have prepared to do. So it's what we do in the low stress times that gets us ready for the high stress time. Okay, I'm gonna say that again. It's what we do in the low stress time, the low anxiety time, the low pressure time that gets us ready for the high stress, high anxiety, high pressure time. Because listen, again, none of us are exempt from those events happening in our lives. But what we can exempt ourselves from is handling it the wrong way. Okay, so go back to 1 Samuel 17. And I want, I want to show you a couple of other things. 1 Samuel 17, verse 38. So what we see here is uh, David has this conversation with Saul. And uh, verse 37, Moreover, David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. In verse 38, So Saul clothed David with his armor, he put a bronze helmet on his head. He also clothed him with a coat of mail. David fastened his sword to his armor and tried to walk, for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these, for I have not tested them. So David took them off. Okay? Now I want you to pay attention. The boundary crosser, Saul, the one who panicked when the pressure was on, told David, try something new or do something that you've never done before. Mm -hmm. Okay. And that was absolutely wrong. Now he didn't say that verbatim, but he implied it by giving David his armor. Uh, David was a small guy. He wasn't a real big guy. If you'll recall, the Bible describes Saul as head and shoulders above all of the other men of Israel. Saul was a big man. So he had this custom armor that was designed for him to use in battle. And uh, so here's David, who's a little guy about my size, putting on this huge armor and it didn't fit. He couldn't walk in it. He couldn't maneuver in it. He couldn't function in it. And so um, it was useless to David. All right. So what I want you to see is that David chose to take off the new thing that Saul was trying to get him to wear, and he reverted back to what he has always done. So David was ready to fight against Goliath because he had been fighting anything 
that came against his father's sheep. Uh, let me say it to you this way, or, or let me pose a question to you. Is a bear bigger than a man? Let's say a man my size. Yes. Okay. Would a lion be bigger and more powerful than a guy my size? Yes. Okay. So here's what I'm telling you. David had fought giants throughout his whole career as a shepherd. So this giant, and this is what he said, would be no different than the lion and the bear. Okay. Mm -hmm. In other words, I'm used to this. I'm skilled at this. I know what to do in this situation. So David was ready to fight against Goliath because he had been fighting anything that came against his father's sheep. He had been practicing what he needed to do. So when David gets under pressure, he just simply reverts to what he already knows to do. So here, here's the big point of what I'm wanting you to see tonight, and that is this. If you're wanting to pull the rug out from underneath worry and anxiety in your life, begin to prepare for what to do when the crisis comes before the crisis comes. Prepare for what to do before the diagnosis comes. Prepare for what to do before the car breaks. Whatever the situation might be, prepare and practice ahead of time and when the, when the event happens, when the pressure comes, you'll be ready for it, okay? See, now human nature is to do like Saul and look for something exotic and new, okay? In other words, there's got to be some new revelation God wants me to use and try in this situation. Now, if you'll remember in the situation that we talked about last week with David, God gave him a different method. No, God gave him a different instruction, but the same method. In other words, he was still going to have to fight, but he gave him a different way of fighting in the moment. All right. In other words, the, the instructions that came from the Lord, because I don't want to confuse you because I said to you last week that sometimes you can't revert to what you did last time. You can revert to, to methods but do it in the way that God wants you to do it in that particular situation. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. So David gets under pressure. He just simply reverts to what he already knows to do. And so that's why we should trust God in everything in life, both big and small, and not look for some something exotic and something we've never done before to get us out of the situation that we're in. God is going to lead you back to something that you are familiar with. All right? Okay? Mm -hmm. Now, God led Moses and the children of Israel. Have you ever thought about this? Where they ended up after 40 years where is where Moses spent the 40 years while he was preparing in the wilderness? Hmm. You ever thought about that? They wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years and ended up back right where the Midianites lived, where, where Moses' father-in-law lived and where Moses had spent those 40 years. Okay, So they ended up right back in Moses' uh, backyard, so to speak. Look at verse 43 in, in chapter 17. Uh, the, 
So the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his God. Okay. So uh, you know the story. David came to the Philistine and he said, You come to me with a sword and a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Okay. <laughs> so it was, verse 48, when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, that David hurried. I love this. David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. Then David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone. He slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead so that the stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the earth. Now, what is it that David used to defeat the enemy? A sling and the sword. A sling and a stone. Mm -hmm. In other words, what he had always used. Now, one thing that you need to understand about shepherds back in this day is when they were out shepherding, they had a lot of time on their hands. And so what these shepherds would do is they would get their slings out and practice uh, slinging stones. And many of them got so skilled at it that they could, um, you know, hit a target a long ways away right on the money. If you'll remember, there was a guy who was in the, uh, uh, the 300. He was honored in a list in the little army that David had who was known for being able to hit his enemy with his sling from a great distance off and was extremely accurate with it. Well, David was the same way. Think about it. Um, you know, I remember being taught in Sunday school when I was a little kid that it was the stone that killed Goliath because it hit him right here in the forehead. No, that's not what killed Goliath. What that did is it stunned Goliath and knocked him out on the ground. Okay, so, so again, what David did is he took what was familiar to him, a stone and a sling. And by the way, do you know why gab uh, he gathered five stones? Goliath had four brothers. Absolutely. Because you see later on, uh, they get dealt with, okay? But he was ready to take on the whole bunch if necessary. All right, now notice what happened, okay? So as he runs up, he hits Goliath in the head with the stone, knocks him out. Goliath falls down. David runs up on him, grabs Goliath's sword, and then cuts his head off. That's what kills Goliath. Okay? Mm -hmm. Now, here's my point. You keep doing what you've always known to do, and it will put you in a place where if you need something new, it will be provided for you. Mm -hmm. Okay? What did David do? He relied on what he knew, but then when he got to the Goliath, he didn't try and kill Goliath with another stone. He just took the, the sword that was available to him and cut Goliath's head off, okay, mm -hmm. and killed Goliath, all right? You know, I don't, maybe they told us that it killed, the stone is what killed Goliath because it sounds pretty gory when you think about, you know, that David cut the man's head off with a sword and it held his head up for everybody to be able to see, but 
and they didn't feel like that. They felt like that was too rated R for little kids or something. I don't know. So, so um, God will lead you to keep doing what you know to do, but if you need something new, he'll provide the new for you. Okay. So um, finding an answer in a time of anxiety and pressure is not hard. You just do what brought you victory the last time. Keep doing the word and standing in faith and don't cross a boundary of pressure and keep doing what you've been doing. So let me say it to you this way. If standing on the word of God is what got you healed last time, then don't look for something else to get you healed. Go back to standing on the word and believing God for your healing. Now, if there's something new that you need to do, God will reveal that to you and instruct you in that situation. But let me say this to you, okay? And I learned this a long time ago from Brother Hagin, and that is this. You can tell more about what God is saying to you when he says nothing to you than you can when he's talking to you. What do I mean by that? If you're not getting fresh revelation from the Lord, in other words, if God's not giving you additional instructions, then do what you have, what you already know to do. Okay. In other words, you can tell more about what, by what he's not saying than what he says very often. Okay. And by the way, sometimes that when we're not getting direction from the Lord, it's because we are not doing something he told us last time. Okay. So, I hope this is helping you. I, I want to, uh, you know, again, we're pulling the rug out from worry and anxiety in our lives. Don't cross any boundaries. Don't look for something exotic. Re re go with what you know. But here's the key. Prepare ahead of time. Listen, the best time to believe God for your healing is when you're not sick. Mm -hmm. The best time to believe God for prosperity in your life is when you have enough. All right. It, not to say it's not impossible when you're sick to believe God for healing, but the best time to do it is when you're practicing those things before the pressure arises. Okay. Remember, you never rise to the occasion. You sink to the level of your preparation. Thanks once again for tuning in to the Spring Hill Church podcast. We hope that you have been blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about the church, please feel free to visit us at springhill.cc.